The subject of disabilities can seem abstract to people who are fully abled. My next guest was fully abled until one day he wasn't. After a difficult two-year process of reinvention, he's now on his way to becoming a commissioned foreign service officer at the State Department. Here with his story, Colin Walsh. Mr. Walsh, good to have you on. Yes, sir. Thank you so much. Very happy to be here. And if you don't mind, tell us what happened that one day you were fully abled and now you have disabilities. Absolutely. So briefly, I was on my way to my dream job. I was to be a special agent in the Department of State's Foreign Service. I was on my third day in the orientation in Virginia. And all of a sudden, I started feeling some weakness in my legs, some tingly feeling in my skin. And by the third day, I was unable to walk. I was essentially paralyzed from the chest down. And after many months, I learned that it was a very severe and sudden onset case of MS. Wow, it sounds almost like polio, but we are vaccinated against that. So MS is something that's just out of the blue for you then. Oh, I had no idea. And, and I was the most active guy. I was an active duty police officer. I was about to become a federal agent. I had traveled the world. And then all of a sudden, I just I couldn't move. Wow. So what happened both professionally and personally at that point? Did you stay in the employee of the government under disability or tell us the technicals of what happened then? The Department of State, my employer, and especially the Bureau of Diplomatic Security was wonderful with me. I had to leave for over two years in search for a cure, in search for recovery. During that time, they allowed me to be on leave the entire time, despite the fact that I was only in their employee for three days at that point. But when I returned, I had to leave the Foreign Service. I was not capable of you know, traveling overseas, et cetera, at that time. But I rejoined as a foreign affairs officer in the State Department's civil service, and I've been there ever since. And just Tell us somewhat what it takes to recover from the chest down a paralysis under MS. Is part of your function recoverable and have you recovered it? That's exactly what I was asking. When I asked that to my American team of doctors, no matter who I talked to, my prognosis was permanent paralysis. I was never going to recover. I was only going to get worse. So lucky for me, I married an Indian bride and I listened to her and she said, Colin, If the American doctors can't help and don't want to help, we're going to take you to India. So that's what we did. And we moved to India for a year. By the time I got back, I was on my two feet walking, still with trouble. I have issues. They're visible. You could see them. But thankfully, I got much of my life back. And we are on video, which is simply for purposes of our eye contact and not for broadcast to our listeners. But I just saw you bring your hand up and pat yourself on the chest. So that means that your upper body is more mobile than initially. Yeah, my upper body from roughly the chest up was always fine. So thank God that wasn't affected. I've always had full use of my hands. And what in India can they do that seems unknown to U.S. medicine? Honestly, it's the mentality. I really wasn't on any different medication. But what I was on, I was in a house of people who were determined to make me stand and to make me walk. In the USA, you're never going to get five people holding you for hours saying, put pressure on your legs when you don't have any feelings in your legs. But that's exactly what happened all day, every day. And it worked. And I imagine the mental recovery was probably just as difficult as the physical. Oh, yes, it was. And let me tell you, I was so angry in India. I was, you know, shouting at the good people who were helping me saying, I don't have feelings in my legs. How could I put pressure on my legs? And they would tell me to do it. And after weeks and weeks of this, 
it worked and I thank them and I thank God for it. So you're pretty good at choosing both employers and brides. Yes. Yes, I am. We're speaking with Colin Walsh. He's a foreign affairs officer in the Bureau of Diplomatic Security at the State Department. What sorts of accommodations then is the State Department making and do they feel like they are adequate to support your career goals? The State Department in my Bureau of Diplomatic Security has been wonderful. Specific to me, I've had things like my office space restructured, special chairs, ergonomics, all that sort of thing. That's standard. But what my bureau did, my request went way above and beyond. I started thinking beyond just my own needs. And I thought, well, we have an entire huge building of folks with disabilities. This building really is not accessible. How could I make this a wholesale effort? So I put together a campaign. I petitioned my bureau leadership. And at the end of the day, which I should say at the end of quite a few months, I was able to get the entire building made accessible. That means all 24 floors have automatic door openers, accessible bathrooms, elevators that won't close on people like me before I could get in them or close on people like me, which happens all the time. The key point is here, they were listening and they wanted to help. And you mentioned 24 floors, so we're not talking about Foggy Bottom. Where is your office located? It's right on the river separating Georgetown from Roslyn. Right. So you're on the Virginia side there. Yes. Lots of tall towers over there. I've been in a few of them myself. And tell us about the work that you do now, and then we'll talk about what work you're training to become. I work, generally speaking, in foreign affairs, international relations. The specific, I guess you could say, subject matter of my work is security and counterterrorism. I'm a specialist in South and Central Asian affairs and international security issues. And your goal is to become a commissioned foreign service officer, which will take you overseas. How well equipped do you feel to be able to do that physically and, I guess, in your head? Two separate issues. I'm very headstrong and I'm very happy to meet and overcome and triumph in the face of any challenge. Physically, I do have issues, but by now I'm very well traveled throughout the bureaucracy. I know that the environment is right to ask for what is necessary. I have experience doing it and I also have confidence in my department to make it happen because they've gone to great lengths to recruit folks like me with disabilities, both visible and invisible. And do you walk with difficulty? Are you in a wheelchair? What's your day-to-day mode of locomotion? If I'm going long-term distance, I use a wheelchair, although I try very hard not to do it, and I go weeks without doing so. Otherwise, I use elbow-supported walking sticks, and they've been very helpful to me. And I, in fact, rely upon them. I don't have the balance otherwise. Got it. And just what are the long-term prospects? I mean, this is the way life is. And I guess what would you say to other people that become disabled in how to cope if this is what the rest of your life is going to look like? So it's important to know that everyone's situation is different. I was not born with a disability. I came to own one. As an individual, I make it my goal to do everything I can to continue to heal And I have hopes and aims, ultimately, of getting back on my feet without assistance of anything and gaining back many of the functions I lost. However, I understand and I deeply appreciate that's not everybody's goal, and maybe it cannot be. The point is this. If this is your goal, the federal government, now more than ever, is ready, willing, 
and looking for guidance. How can we accommodate individuals with disabilities? Sounds like something every employer should be hearing. I think so. And honestly, the educators are the community of the disabled. People with disabilities who seek employment, who want to participate in the workforce, you need to understand that every single disability is individualized, is unique. So there's no one better than us who are capable of knowing what we need. And in fact, I don't think there is anyone out there who would know what we need until we open our mouths and we communicate. That's how you get things done. And that's how you contribute. Colin Walsh is a foreign affairs officer in the Bureau of Diplomatic Security at the State Department. Thanks so much for joining me. You're very, very welcome. Thank you. We'll post this interview at federalnewsnetwork.com slash Federal Drive. Subscribe to the Federal Drive at Podcast One or wherever you get your shows. Hello, I'm WIPA CEO Shane Canfield, and thank you for joining us on another episode of Lessons in Leadership. I'm honored to be joined by Angie Bailey, founder and CEO of Ananda Life. Angie has a remarkable career in public service, beginning as a GS2 clerk typist with the Social Security Administration. And over the next 40 years, Angie steadily worked her way up through the government, ultimately becoming the Chief Human Capital Officer at the Department of Homeland Security. She's been recognized with presidential rank awards by two administrations for leadership, innovation, dedication, and commitment to the country. Angie, thank you for joining us. Thank you, Shane. What a pleasure to be here. Angie, you've made quite a name for yourself as a leader in the federal workforce. Who was the first person you remember looking up to as a leader? And what about them inspired you? You know, I often think about this because, you know, sometimes we think of the people that we look up to the most as being somebody that throughout our career has, you know, been at the highest levels and all. But, you know, I've got to go back to honestly, whenever I was 10 years old, And uh, I remember I really wanted to play Little League baseball on a boys team. I was the only girl. And interestingly, it was the women who would keep saying to me that, no, I couldn't play. And then one day, whenever I was there to sign up yet again, uh, there was this guy, his name was Delbert Beiser. And uh, I remember he had like red hair and he had wadded tobacco in his mouth and greasy overhauls and everything. And he said, you know, I'll take her, I'll take her on my team. And, you know, just looking back on that, there's so many leadership lessons and things that I just really admire about him. And actually, I thought about throughout my entire career, he took a chance on somebody he didn't know. He um, put aside whatever conscious or unconscious biases that he might have had about having a girl on a team. He treated me the same, Uh, whether You know, if I wasn't performing, I got benched just like the boys. I got no special treatment. And 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 he was just really honest with me and he just included me in everything. And so looking back on it, you know, really, it was Delbert Beiser, our local mechanic in our little small village. That was, I think, my inspiration for going on to, I hope, become the leader, um, you know, that that I wanted to be. I'd say half of the guests on this podcast have had similar stories where they reach back to either childhood or young adulthood. And I, and I think as leaders, it's really incumbent upon us to keep that in mind that, that what we say and do admit especially in the younger ages really can have a lifelong impact. How would you describe your leadership style and and how's that developed over time? I would say that the one word that describes my leadership style is that I care. Um, I guess that's more than one word, but I care. Uh, I, I've always cared about the mission. I've always cared about the people. 
always cared, you know, about making sure that that they had what they needed or that they were developing the way, uh, you know, that they aspired to develop. And I tried to take this approach of not treating people the way I wanted to be treated, but instead treat people the way they wanted, they want to be treated. And I think that that really kind of developed over my career. You know, I started out just like most leaders do where it's very results driven. It's all about the bottom line. You need to make sure that you get everything accomplished because, you know, that's what everybody's looking for, the goals, the metrics, et cetera. But I think as you mature and you go along, you start to, to your point, you draw back on those early childhood days or early adult young, you know, whenever you're a young adult and you say, you know, I think that there's a little bit more to this than just the bottom line. And so over time, I really began to, I, I think, see a much bigger picture and the entire ecosystem, if you will, and how the people themselves fit into all of this. And that ultimately, at the end of the day, it was all about the people. And so, I, you know, I think my, my maturity allowed me to then shift and focus more on the people than, than so much on results and bottom line. You've been recognized with two presidential rank awards two different administrations. You founded your own company. Tell us a little bit more about your background from the beginning and and how did that lead you to where you are today? Well, you know, it's kind of interesting, like you said, that I started out as a GS2, Social Security Administration. I mean, what I really wanted to be was a criminal prosecuting attorney. Yes, that's that was absolutely my dream. I sometimes joke and say what I really wanted to be was a mafia don, but that wasn't going to work out. So, you know, had to be a criminal prosecuting attorney. But, you know, I had to get a job to pay for college. I, you know, it wasn't in the cards that I was going to be able to go to college without a job. So I applied at the Social Security Administration, or I'm sorry, at the unemployment office. And lo and behold, I got a job at Social Security. I didn't even know it was federal, to be honest. Uh, From there, I went to the Department of Defense and I found this, this career field called labor and employee relations. And honestly, it was as close as I was going to get to being a criminal prosecuting attorney. I didn't go on to be a, a criminal prosecuting attorney, but I went on courtesy of Department of Defense to get both my bachelor's and my master's in leadership, because the whole study of leadership, I just find incredibly fascinating. Um, you know, from hi- historical to current uh, current times, I just, it's just something that's just really fascinated me. And so I just, I would say I'm a lifelong learner of leadership. And then I would say some of the other things that got me maybe where I am today is I never really said no to anything. If people asked me to take on a new challenge, even if I wasn't sure I was going to be successful at it, I would say, you know what, not sure this is going to work out, but more than happy to give it a try. And it always worked out. But I think giving things a try and just not saying no to opportunities is what really led from one position to the next. I feel like I was always rewarded for just stepping in or stepping up and taking on the challenges that sometimes no one else wanted to do. Angie, thanks so much for joining us today. Oh, thank you, Shane. It's such a pleasure. I I really appreciate you giving me this opportunity. Thank you. This has been the Lessons in Leadership podcast. I'm CEO of WEPA, Shane Canfield. Looking forward to talking to you next time. This episode is brought to you by Zelle. Whenever you're sending money through an app or online, it's important to do it safely. Here are a few helpful tips. First, always make sure you know and trust the person you are sending money to. Second, confirm you have entered their contact details correctly. And finally, if you don't trust the person, 
or your recipient is rushing you to send money right away, think twice before sending money through an app or online. Grab a 30-day free trial of Live by Live Plus and you'll get unlimited skips, commercial-free music, and all of the podcasts and live streaming events you can handle. Visit livexlive.com slash podcast1 to learn more and start your free trial.